Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we are amazed by your amazing grace. Father, we come to you today. We want to know you more. We want to know how we can serve you more, how we can love you more, how we can strive to be like you more. And we know that we can do that through learning about you through your word. So Holy Spirit, we pray today that you will be our master teacher and that we will not leave here just hearers of the word, but we'll leave here doers. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Since uh, Bryce and Mackenzie were were little guys, our family has enjoyed uh, going on ski trips together and Beyond a shadow of a doubt, our favorite uh, ski resort is Purgatory outside of Durango, Colorado. Uh, but this past January, Mackenzie got married in May, and so uh, her and her husband invited uh, Lena and I and our family and his side of the family, and we revisited one of our old skiing spots there in Breckenridge. And one of the things that we love about Purgatory and we love about Breckenridge is their commitment to adaptive skiing. If you don't know much about adaptive skiing, it is skiing for those that have some form of disability. And so they've put a lot of time and effort and energy in providing the opportunities for that. But for me, by far the most inspiring adaptive skiers that I have come in contact with are the blind skiers. Now, I don't know how many of you have skied before or have been round, but it is hard enough with two good eyes to get from the top of the mountain all the way to the bottom But can you imagine what it's like to do that completely blind? Now, the reason that these adaptive skiers, these blind skiers are able to do that is because they have two guides that go with them every place that they go. And those guides serve two purposes. One, they serve the purpose of protecting the skier from themselves. They they help the skier know through verbal warnings and through the sound of where they are, how to avoid obstacles, how to make sure that they don't run into other skiers, how that they're able to get down safely. They also protect the adaptive skier from other skiers. They make sure that there's not someone else that would ski into them or to damage them or to do something that would harm them. And so in essence, what happens is the the blind skier, the adaptive skier, has to put 100% trust and faith into their guides. On an instant's notice, they have to be willing to adjust and to make any kind of adjustment necessary because they trust that that guide has their best interest at heart. I think we all would agree that sounds somewhat like it is skiing down this big old mountain called life. We've got things in front of us. We've got obstacles all around us. We've got things that we'll run into and we can't see into the future. And oftentimes we're going down this mountain called life and it seems like we're doing it absolutely blind. But the amazing thing is that God has given us a guide. He's given us himself in the form of the Holy Spirit. And that that Holy Spirit has been given to us to be able to protect us from ourselves so that we'll not do something that will damage us, but to also give us the wisdom to know how to protect ourselves from others. And so this is what our Baptist faith and message says about the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. He inspired holy men of old to write the scriptures And through illumination, he enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior and affects regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, he baptizes every believer into the body of Christ. He cultivates Christian character, comforts believers, and bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through the church. He seals the believer into the day of final redemption. 
His presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers the believer and the church in worship, evangelism, and service. Now, we're in the middle of a series of messages entitled Identity Crisis. And so what we're doing is we're taking the Baptist faith and message and we're using that as a springboard or or a way to propel us into each and every sermon. And the rationale behind this is that there's many Christians today that really do not understand what they believe. They can't articulate to another person. They can say, I'm a Christian, but to be able to articulate to another person exactly what that means to be a Christian, they don't have the capability, much less to be able to say, well, I'm a member of Oak Ridge Baptist Church. Well, what in the world does that mean? And as such, oftentimes we have an identity crisis. We don't know how to make a simple explanation of why it is and what it is that we believe into, believe about. So we're using the Baptist faith and message again to help us kind of overcome this idea of an identity crisis. And the thing that sprung us into this would be our theme for this year, Unashamed. You notice that the me and Unashamed is highlighted because me, I have to take the responsibility to be able to explain to others who I am in Christ. I have to take the responsibility to be able to do what our focal passage this week, this uh, year in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses uh, uh, 13 through 17. Does anybody want to share that focal passage with us this morning? For who is he who can, who is he who can harm you if you become followers of what is good? Who is he But sanctify Christ. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defend you as evildoers, that those who revile your good conduct in Christ shall be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing Very good. Thank you very much, Miss Vicki. Excellent. So that's our focal passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. And me, if I'm going to be unashamed, then there in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and with reverence. And so this verse helps us to be able to begin this process of dealing with our identity crisis. And so, so far we've looked at the scripture. We've looked at God, the father, God, the son, we've looked at the Trinity in its totality. And now we're beginning this process this morning of looking at the Holy spirit. So take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the book of John chapter 16. If you were to go back and read that portion of the the gospel of John, you would find that from John chapter 15 and verse 26 to John chapter 16 and verse 15, it teaches about, teaches us about the role of the Holy Spirit. For instance, in 1526 to the first part of verse four of chapter 16, it teaches us about the witness of the Holy Spirit. When we're enduring persecution, when we're going through difficult time, there's a witness that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And then in verses uh, chapter 16, the second part of verse four through verse 11, it teaches about the Holy Spirit's ability as our counselor and as our judge in the midst of that persecution. And then we come to our passage this morning in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, and it talks about the guidance that the Holy Spirit gives to believers. And this last part is what I want to concentrate this morning on. I want us to look at the Holy Spirit, our guide. And the reason is simple. We live in a postmodern culture. We live in a culture today that says society determines what truth is, and that's absolutely false. 
God is what determines what truth is. And so when somebody comes to us and says, well, why is it that society says it's okay to be gender neutral? Why do you have a stance that God created us in his image and he created us male and female? Why do you say when, when you come to scripture that there's this exclusivity of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone as a way to have eternal life? What causes you to be able to say that? And we want to be able to go to scripture and always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and with reverence. And that's why we study the word. And that's why we want to study this morning about the Holy Spirit and what he has to say so that we'll be equipped to be able to give a defense for what we believe. So let's begin reading in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, looking at the Holy Spirit as our guide. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I have many more things to say to you. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to those apostles that he had called to be followers of him as he began his earthly ministry. We would know them as the 12 disciples. And so uh, I'll be referring to them interchangeably as the apostles and the disciples. But this is the group that he's talking to. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will make, uh, excuse me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. To you. I want you to look very specifically at verse 13 of that passage of Scripture where it says there, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. This word guide, if you were to look that up in the Greek language, hadageo would be the word that you would find there, and it literally means to lead the way. That's what the word guide means in this passage of Scripture. Now think about those blind skiers. They're going down a mountain. They can't see because they don't have the ability to see, but yet they're not skiing alone. They have someone with them that's able to lead the way. And that's exactly what this word in this passage of scripture is talking about here. When God saves us, he doesn't leave us alone to grope our way through life. He doesn't leave us in darkness. He says in the Bible that he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And to operate in that light, then he gives us someone to hadadego, someone to lead us and not to cause us to not be able to navigate this way. So he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. He will lead you. And specifically, he's going to lead you into all the truth. And so if you study about the, old, uh, excuse me, the Holy Spirit in this passage of scripture, or you go back over into John chapter 14, there's two very specific names that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit, and that is the spirit of truth. And this morning I want to visit with you and concentrate on the three ways that the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. If he is the spirit of truth, he doesn't lead us here to grope in the darkness to not know what we're doing. So how does he lead us in this ability to know truth? And so the first way that I notice in this passage of scripture is that the Holy Spirit guides us in receiving the truth. The Holy Spirit guides us in receiving the truth. Go back to verse 12 of chapter 16. Jesus said to his apostles, to his disciples, he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. 
I've been with you guys for three and a half years, and I have been imparting things to you over and over. I've been sharing stories with you. I've been sharing parables with you. I've been sharing doctrine with you. I've been sharing my life with you. And you're kind of like a sponge. You have accepted as much water into your life as you possibly can. Now, there's coming a day that I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again three days later. I'm going to walk on this earth for 40 days. And then I'm going to send back into heaven. I'm going to be seated at the right hand of the God, the Father, where I'm going to intercede for you. And then persecution is about to happen. And when persecution begins to happen, you are going to start being wrung out. And when you are wrung out, now you're going to have more ways or more ability to be able to accept other things that I have for you. But right now you're full up. There's nothing else that I can share with you because you just don't have the capacity to be able to take it in. There's a lot more that he wanted to share with the apostles that they needed to learn, that they needed to record, that they needed to pass along so we could know more. But at this moment, they were not ready for this. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But I'm not going to stop there. It's still going to come when you are ready. And when you're ready, he, the spirit of truth, will come and he will guide you into all the truth. And I've shared with you that the Greek language is a very specific language. And what we, we read this passage of scripture, it says, and he'll guide you in the truth. We just kind of think he'll guide you in the truth, but that would not be the case. That is a definite article in front of truth there. And it's speaking about the truth. If it was just truth, then it would say he will guide you into all truth. But it does not say that. Very specifically, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write here that he's talking about the definite article highlighting that he is going to give them things about the absolute truth. The Holy Spirit has come to guide us into truth about God. He's come to guide us into the truth about sin and salvation. He's come to guide us into the truth about death and hell. He's come to guide us into the truth about life and death. It is the absolute truth. That article is saying there is no waywardness to it. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. It's a definite article. It is pointing to something very specifically. And he said, I'm, I'm sending the Holy Spirit because he is going to give you the absolute 100% truth truth about all the things that you need to be able to navigate this thing called life. And this truth amazingly has been recorded for us in the Bible. It's been recorded for us to be able to study and, and to be able to grasp, from, grasp things from it. But listen to me very, 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 very carefully. You cannot understand the Bible if you do not have the Holy Spirit. You cannot understand the Bible. You cannot understand its teaching. You can't understand why it contradicts what you feel in your heart if you don't have the Holy Spirit residing in you. This is what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. We receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of our salvation. That was what it said there in that Baptist faith and message. And we're not studying the Baptist faith and message. We're studying God's word to make sure the Baptist faith and message is correct. 
And the Baptist faith, the message based on this passage of scripture says at the moment of our salvation, the Holy Spirit becomes resident inside of us. He baptizes us in the spirit into the body of Christ and his presence inside of us now gives us the ability to be able to understand scripture because the author of scripture is now living inside of us. But if I don't have the author of scripture living inside of me, it doesn't matter how many cliff notes that I buy. It doesn't matter how many ABF classes I go to for somebody else to tell me what the Bible has to say. I will not discern that correctly because I don't have the author of the book living inside of me. Anybody can read the Bible, but only those that have the Holy Spirit can truly understand the Bible. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. A a mom of a preschooler comes into her her son's office, excuse me, into his, uh, his room one morning, and he's sitting there writing a letter. She's like, um, you don't know how to write, and you're writing a letter. Who are you writing a letter to? And he said, I'm writing it to my girlfriend at school. And she said, but you don't know how to write. And he said, that's okay. She doesn't know how to read either. <laughs> and that's the picture of a non-Christian studying the Bible and trying to explain its truth to other people. It's the blind leading the blind. Paul goes on to say this, a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can read the Bible. We can memorize the Bible. We can try to understand the Bible, but we will not understand the Bible because the one that reveals the truth to us is not a part of our life. So the Holy Spirit came to guide us in receiving the truth. That's the first way that the Holy Spirit guides us. Let's look at the second way in this passage of Scripture that the Holy Spirit guides us. He guides us in remembering the truth. He guides us to understand it, but he also guides us in remembering the truth. When you read through the Gospels, and those of you that have done that, or if you haven't, do it. Check me out. And that's why I ask you to bring your Bibles. Check me out. See if I'm preaching the Word of God or not. See if I'm preaching Galen's message or the Gospel of God. And if I'm preaching God's message, then we have to look at ourselves in the mirror of that truth to see if we need to follow it or not. And as I read through the Gospels, and if you read through the Gospels, I believe that you'll find that Jesus never wrote anything down. You never find him sitting down with a pen and a piece of paper and recording for us what he wanted us to know about his earthly ministry. Why? If it was so important that we have this Bible and that we have the truth, why would Jesus not sit down and write it down for us? And the reason is really simple. Because he knew that was the ministry of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit came here to this earth. Why do I know that? Because in John chapter 14 and verse 26, it says this. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance. Remember, I've got things that I want to tell you, but you're not ready for them. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you on all truth. And so when you've been squeezed out enough so that you can be filled back up, this Holy Spirit, he will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Oftentimes I'm asked, well, pastor, how do we know that the disciples got it right? How how can we trust that the gospel stories and and the messages that we have in scripture, how can we trust that? 
Well, first we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and it's profitable for us to study and to teach and to correct ourselves and to build our doctrine upon. But, but what else proof do we have? Well, we have the proof right here in this passage of Scripture that the disciples were writing what the Holy Spirit brought to them, which is why that we say that these words are the verbally inspired Word of God. Now, humanly speaking, we don't have the ability to remember a lot of things. Hopefully, men, you remember when your anniversary is on a regular basis and those kind of things. But we forget things, don't we? Humanly, we kind of let things slip. I, I, I heard about a, a, young, uh, a young seminary graduate that was invited to come preach at a church. And it was his very first message to ever preach. And not only was he preaching a message for the first time, he was being asked to preach in view of a call to pastor this church thought, how in the world am I going to open up this sermon? You know, they don't know me. I want to kind of break the ice a little bit. And he remembered this story that one of his seminary preaching professors had told in one of his classes. And the story went like this. It said, some of the uh, most amazing days I've ever spent as a human being, I spent in the arms of another man's wife. And then he dramatically paused. And that was the arms of my mother. And then he went on to preach his message. So that young, pre- that young uh, seminary graduate thought, that'll be a great way to open my sermon. So he gets up that morning, he's nervous as can be, and, you know, he's struggling with uh, what he ought to say, but he starts this way, and he says, well, church, I want you to know that some of the most amazing days I've ever spent, I spent in the arms of another man's wife. Well, the only problem was he forgot to tell his wife he was going to say that, and she was a red-headed, temper-filled woman. And she was sitting about that second chair right there. And as he got that out of her mouth, she stood up and began to charge up to the rostrum, you know. Well, he forgets what he's supposed to say, and he backs up and he says, and for the life of me, I can't remember who it was, right? (laughs) We, we, We struggle sometimes under stress. We struggle remembering everything that we ought to do. Humanly speaking, we're flawed in our Memories, But the reason we have the New Testament is not because of the writers, the apostles' ability to remember. The reason that we have the, the, the New Testament is because of the Holy Spirit and Him bringing things back to the minds of the writers. Listen to it again in John chapter 14 and verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit... Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The reason that we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The reason we have the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the reason we have the Johannian Gospel, John, is because the Holy Spirit brought to the memory of those writers what they were supposed to record for us in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Then in chapter 16, in our text this morning, in verse 13, it says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He is the one that spoke into the life of the writers of the epistles. He's the one that spoke into Paul's mind and spoke into Peter and spoke into so that we have these letters that teach us so much about the doctrines that we operate by. And then in the last part of verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is 
to come. Not only did he help the writers of the gospels remember what to write, not only did he help the the writers of the epistles know what to write, he also helped John write for us the revelation, what is to come, the future things that we are going to be exposed to. And so we see from this, not only is first, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, second Peter chapter three and verse 16, correct, where it says all things are given by the inspiration of God. We see in these passages of scripture explicitly how those things are given to human beings so that we can have them. So the Holy Spirit came to guide us into historical truth by giving us the gospel, to guide us into theological truth by giving us the epistles, and to guide us into prophetical truth by giving us the book of the Revelation. And so the Holy Spirit reminded the apostles what to write. Now listen to me very carefully. God the Spirit reminded the writers what they were to write, which means... He can remind us to remember what he wants us to remember. Now I'm fixing to get all off in some of y'all's business right now. God the Holy Spirit had the ability to bring to the memory of the writers of the Bible what they were supposed to write, which means he has the ability to give us the memory to be able to memorize the scriptures that he wants us to memorize. I hear it all the time. Well, pastor, I know you want us to be, to, to, to be memorizing these, uh, these passages of scripture, but you just don't understand. I can't memorize scripture. There's another Greek word for that. Baloney. I was speaking with one of our new members recently and she was telling me how that she was of that school. I've just gotten to the age I can't remember anymore. She said, but then I got a call from my former employer. I'd been retired from from quite some time and they called me up and they said, we need you to hire back on as a contractor and we need you to do a job for us. She said, I went in and I met with the employer and I met with those and they said, now for you to work for us and to be able to get this really nice financial benefit of being a contractor for us, here's 10 pages of material that you need to memorize by next Monday. She said, you know what I did over the weekend? I made flashcards. I wrote things down. I've made a concerted effort. And she goes, you know what I did over the weekend? I memorized 10 pages because that meant money. She goes, when I began to realize I was willing to memorize things for money, how much more should I memorize things for God? Those of us that say we can't memorize, how many flashcards have you made? How many sticky notes have you put on your vanity mirror? How many times have you recorded yourself into your iPhone instead of turning on my achy, breaky heart as you went down the road? Now, I said an old one because I didn't want to really get in everybody's business right there, okay? Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which they slander your your good behavior in Christ, they will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you should suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. I'm not going to ask you to do something I'm not asking myself to do.
If the Bible is God's word because the Holy Spirit inspired it and he inspired it by bringing it to the memory of those that were writing it, then he'll bring it to the memory of those that are trying to understand it. That's why it's so important to be in the word of God. I don't ask you to be in the word of God on a daily basis just so we can check off a mark and say I'm really righteous. I ask you to be in the word of God so that you can hide God's word in your heart so that you'll not sin against God. Because God can't remind you of something that you've never read. But the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Once you've read that truth and studied that, word, that truth, he'll bring it back to your remembrance. The way, number one, that the Holy Spirit guides us in truth is he guides us in receiving the truth. Way, number two, that the Holy Spirit guides us in truth, he guides us in remembering the truth. And the last one I'll share with you this morning, the third way that the Holy Spirit guides us in truth is he guides us in responding to the truth responding. Look what he says there in verse 13 of chapter 16. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. What is that? Remember what I just shared? What is the truth? The absolute truth. Where is the absolute truth recorded for us? It's recorded for us in the Bible, which means that the Holy Spirit leads us to the scriptures so that he can lead us in the scriptures so that he can lead us by the scriptures. If there's anything that I say today that's worth writing down, that's worth writing down right there. The Holy Spirit leads us to the scriptures so that he can lead us in the scriptures so that he can lead us by the scriptures. And this is the way that we don't, or we fulfill what James says is that we're not just hearers of the words, but we're doers of the words that aren't pretending or aren't fooling ourselves. And I believe that's what Jesus is teaching us in verse 13 when he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, speaking of the spirit, whatever he hears, he will speak. The Holy Spirit's not an independent contractor. The Holy Spirit is not working out here all by himself. He's part of the Trinity. He works in unison with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit will never lead you into something that contradicts what the Bible has already said. Because the Holy Spirit leads you to the Scriptures so that he can guide you in the Scriptures so that you can live by the Scriptures. Let me give you an example. I have a young man or a young boy come, or a young woman come to me and say, Pastor, I've fallen in love. I've gone to college and I met my dream boat and I think they're the one. You know the first question I ask them? Are they a believer? Well, no, they're not a believer yet. You know what I say? Then they're not the one. God didn't call you to marry that one. Now, well, some of y'all think right now, who do you think you are to tell me who I'm supposed to marry? I'm nobody. But you know who is somebody? God. You know what God says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14? Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now, there are reasons why a believer that has the Holy Spirit inside of them would believe that the Holy Spirit is telling them to do something contrary to what God's Word already says. There's some reasons for that. One reason would be, is simply this, is that they can't hear the Holy Spirit's voice. They can't hear the Holy Spirit's voice. It's not that the Holy Spirit's not speaking. Let me kind of give you an illustration. 
um, you get a phone call, and so you take your iPhone out and you pick it up, but you're in the living room, and the television is on, and the kids need to eat, and, and, and they're screaming for food, and, and, and this, all this commotion is going on, and you can't hear what the other person is saying. The problem is not that the person is not speaking. The problem is, is you're not in a position where you can hear what the person is saying. And so when you remove the clutter and when you remove, and I'm not calling our kids clutter, don't get me wrong here. But when you remove those things that are making the noise out of your life, you very clearly can hear what the other person is saying. And there's a reason oftentimes why there's a lot of clutter in a Christian's life. I think it's described for us in Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, where it says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Did you hear when the Holy Spirit spoke in that passage of Scripture? Look at it again. While they were ministering and fasting. That's why a lot of Christians can't hear what God wants to say because they're not working and they're not listening. If the only time that you listen to or try to hear from the Holy Spirit is on Sunday morning when I'm preaching and at no other time, you'll never declutter your life enough to hear from God. If you're not spending time on your own in God's Word, if you're not spending time on your own memorizing Scripture, if you're not spending time on your own interacting with God, then your life is going to stay cluttered to the point that you're not going to be able to hear from God. So one of the reasons why Christians can't hear is because they simply have too much going on. The second reason why they don't hear is because they've just simply already determined and that they're going to refuse to obey Well, Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but I'm in love. Well, would you have been in love if you would have fasted before you went on that first date? But I don't like what God has to say, so I'm not going to do it. So is the problem that God's not speaking or is the problem that we're not willing to listen Acts 5.32 says, And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who do what? Say it loud. Obey. Obey. The problem with most believers is not that they need guidance because they don't know something. The problem with most believers is they're just simply not willing to obey. They're not willing to do the simple things. I talk about this in our study through the book of Philippians on Wednesday night in Pastor's Corner Live. In that passage of Scripture, it says, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. What is? Rejoice always. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Is there any question what the Bible says? Is there any question what the Holy Spirit has said in that passage of Scripture? Rejoice always, for this is the will of God. Is there any question? Yes or no? Nobody wants to answer that one. because there's, there's not any question. Rejoice always, for this is the will of God. If we're not willing to do the simple things that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God tells us to do, 
In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. If we're not willing to do exactly what God tells us to do so clearly, how can we expect to be able to get the things right that aren't so clearly stated? If the simple things that are right there before us in black and white that the Bible has taken the time to say, this is clearly what I need to do. If we're not willing to do those things, then how can we expect God to reveal other things? So we go back to passage of scripture and says, to those that are faithful in the little things, I began to entrust them with greater things. Well, what are some of the simple things, pastor? Go to God's word and study it this week and see if you find out what those are. And I'll give you an opportunity to spend time in God's word. What are the three ways that the Holy Spirit guides us? He guides us to receive the truth. He guides us to remember the truth. And he guides us to be committed to obeying the truth. Now, as we leave here this morning, I'm going to give you three simple steps to put into practice. You've heard the truth. We've been hearers of the word. Now we want to be doers of the word. So what are three simple steps that I can put into practice as I leave out here today so that the Holy Spirit will guide me into truth? Step number one, the first thing you have to do is you have to acknowledge your need that you need the Holy Spirit to guide you. That's the first thing that you have to do. You have to acknowledge your need. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. You're acknowledging that my understanding is flawed sometimes. My understanding is flawed because of a faulty memory. My, my, my understanding is flawed sometimes because of a bad presupposition. My understanding sometimes is messed up. So I, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge him. And what will he do? When I obey him, he's going to direct. He's going to be my guide. He's going to be the one that's going to help me navigate this mountain when I'm not able to see what is in front of me. Number one, acknowledge your need for the Holy Spirit. Number two, then ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. Acknowledge the need and then ask him to guide you. James 4, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Holy Spirit, I invite you to guide me. I I want you to guide me. Wherever you lead, I'll go. I'm going to follow you. I I don't know how to navigate this mountain called life. I've, matter of fact, I have made a mess of this mountain called life. I have run into things. I have, I have damaged others. I've damaged myself. So I'm calling out to you. I am dependent on you to guide me. And I'm going to follow the steps that you take, which leads us to the third, is that we have to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's the third step. Whatever he asks us to do, whatever he tells us we need to do. Those blind skiers, they've got a guide in front of them, a guide behind them. And all of a sudden, the guide says, stop. Why? I'm not ready to stop. Bam! They run into one of those poles that's a ski lift pole. We would say that was kind of silly, wasn't it? They had a guide right there that was their eyes that was telling them to stop, but they wouldn't stop. Look at the damage that they have. And yet we have this Holy Spirit in front of us that's leading us and guiding us. And sometimes he goes, stop! And we go, why? Bam! And we mess up that relationship in our life. And then we step back and go, if I would have only listened, how do we listen? Well, we begin each day by acknowledging our need for the Holy Spirit, by asking the Holy Spirit to guide us, and then making sure that we follow the Holy Spirit's leadership when he does ask us to do something. Along with skiing, our family loves every now and then to take a cruise 
don't know if any of y'all have cruised much, but I got to noticing uh, on, on our last cruise that we take that, that we would come into a port, and as we were coming into the port, this little boat would come run it up to the, to the ship, you know? And I'm kind of like, where's our Marines, you know? Uh, you know, where are they going to... This is a terrorist or something that's coming up onto our ship here. But on the side of the ship, it's, on the side of this little boat, it said pilot. And so one, one, one day I was walking, there was one of the, the, the captain, one of the officers of the ship that was walking. I said, hey, can I ask you a question? He said, yeah. And I said, what is that little boat that comes up when we're going into a harbor? What's that, that little boat that shows up? And he said, well, that's the harbor master. And I said, okay, what's a harbor master? And he said, a harbor master is a pilot, is, a, is one that can drive the ship that knows that harbor better than the captain of the ship does. And while the captain of the ship is able to navigate this great big ship out in the open waters, the harbor master knows everything about that harbor. It knows where the danger spots are. It knows the way that the tide ebb and flows in that harbor. He knows exactly what turn radius needs to happen for that great big ship to be able to dock the way it's supposed to so that the passengers on the inside of that ship will be safe. What a fitting example of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, fully divine. He inspired holy men of old to write the scriptures. Through illumination, he enables men to understand truth. He exalts Christ. He convicts men of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He calls men to the Savior and affects regeneration. At the moment of regeneration, he baptizes every believer into the body of Christ, and he cultivates Christian character, comforts believers, and bestows the spiritual gifts by which they serve God through his church. He seals the believer unto the day of final redemption. His presence in the Christian is the guarantee that God will bring the believer into the fullness of the stature of Christ. He enlightens and empowers the believer in the church in worship, evangelism, and service. In other words, he's our harbor master. He knows every harbor that we're going into. He knows where the dangerous spots are. He knows the way that the tides ebb and flow. And he's the one that can bring us right into safety the way that we're supposed to if we'll only be listening and be willing to follow his leadership. I want you to know I appreciate your attention this morning, the opportunity that you give me each and every Sunday to be able to open God's word and to be able to share with you. In a few moments, we're going to be dismissed, and that's when our ushers will be at the exit doors, and that's where we give our tithes and our offerings and our, our gifts to Vision 2020. If you're visiting with us today, we'd love for you to stop by our Welcome Center in Kids World or over in the cafe. We've got a gift there for you, and we'd love to answer any questions that you have about our church. But before we do any of those things, we want to pause for just a moment and just have another time of worship. A time of worship is for those of us that say, man, that's exactly where I'm at. The Holy Spirit is in my life because I've been saved. The Holy Spirit guides me because I go to him each and every day and I ask him to. I read in his word. I put those things in application. And then it's simply just a time of worship. 
For others of us, that Holy Spirit that lives inside of us has done some of the things that it talks about here. He's, he's convicted us of something that's not right in our life. And so our time of worship is being truthful and honest with God and saying, you've spoken this area in my life and this is what I need to do and go to God with those things. Some people like to come and pray about that here. Some people like to visit with me about it. Some people are a little bit more uncomfortable. And so at the end of the service, we have folks that'll be over here to my left with the little sign that says, how may I help you? But it's our opportunity to make, make sure that we leave here not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And when I say amen, we'll stand to our feet and worship. And after our time of worship together, then Randy Newman is our deacon of the week. And he'll come and lead us in our closing prayer and we'll be dismissed. But, but I pray today that you would pause long enough to listen and, and, and do what the Holy Spirit's asking you to do in your life today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. And, and we know your, li- your word is alive and it's powerful and it's... It's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it pierces to the uttermost of who we are. And Holy Spirit, I, I prayed this morning that you would be our master teacher. And if there's anything that I've shared today of me, I pray that it will not be remembered. But Father God, if it's of you, I pray that you will bring it to our remembrance right now. And that we'll listen and that we will say yes because we know there's a battle raging right now because the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy, but you've come that we may have life and have it abundantly. And I pray that we'll trust you as our guide and for the safety that you want us to have. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen.